the Shift Gold Friday Gold Wrap, your overview of news impacting the precious metals markets. It's Friday, October 20th. I'm your host, Mike Meharry. Thanks for tuning in. When I was a kid, my parents had a friend who was living large. He was actually the husband of one of my mom's best friends. Dad always described him as a developer. He drove fancy sports cars. He lived in a big house. Uh, He was always dressed to the nines, always had the latest cool tech gadgets. Turns out he was broke. He was basically just living on credit. He would take out huge loans for development projects and then spend a bunch of money on his lavish lifestyle. Then he would come up with another development scheme, borrow more money, pay off the old loan, and buy more pretty stuff. I didn't really realize this as a kid, but apparently he wasn't doing much in the way of development. He was just running a massive Ponzi scheme using business loans. Now, You'll be shocked to learn that eventually this all caved in on him. He got to the point that he couldn't pay back all of those loans. He had to sell all of his awesome stuff. He ended up living in the back of a self-storage place for a while, and I think there were some legal entanglements along the way. But you see, this guy maintained the illusion of prosperity. From the outside, he looked wealthy. He looked prosperous. But it was all just a shell game. Now, I bet you can see where I'm going with this. My parents' friend was the U.S. economy today in a microcosm. It looks prosperous, but it's all built on a massive pile of debt. Sure, there's the illusion of prosperity, but the entire foundation is rotten to the core, and it's about to collapse. Think about it. The U.S. economy is over $33.5 trillion in debt. The Biden administration added $1.3 trillion to that debt in just three months. $1.3 trillion with a T. Now the current clown show in D.C. wants to hand out another $100 billion in aid. Some for Ukraine, some for Israel, some for... I don't know, whatever security issues that they think they need to address. The problem is, there isn't $100 billion. There are zero dollars. But of course, that doesn't matter. They'll just borrow more and hand it out because they can. And when they can't borrow it, the Fed will just print some more dollars and kick the can down the road. No problem. Now, of course, when I say no problem, I mean no problem for them. It's a huge problem for you because the price of everything you buy is going to keep blasting through the roof. But as I explained last week, this is easy to solve. Just stop buying stuff. You're welcome. So we got a great example of this false prosperity this week with the September retail sales numbers. Now, if you've been following along, you know that every time retail sales come in higher than expected, the mainstream media breathlessly reports this is proof that the American consumer is strong and resilient. And of course, this time was no exception. Retail sales were indeed stronger than expected in September. They increased by 0.7%. The expectation was for just a 0.3% gain, so pretty big miss to the upside. Year-over-year, retail sales were up 3.8%. Sounds solid. Good deal, right? So, the media hyped the report. CNN said it was a sign that consumers, quote, aren't tapping out just yet. You know, 
This narrative drives me nuts. I mean, they act like we could just stop spending if we wanted to, right? I don't know about y'all, but I have to get groceries. I got to put gas in my car. I got to pay for health care. I can't just say, oh, darn, those prices are too high now. I guess I'll just tap out. Anyway, that's how the talking heads on uh, Fox Business and MSNBC and all those folks, that's how they spin it. So retail sales are up. And that means you're eager to spend. That's the narrative, right? I've said this before, but it's extremely important. Retail sales are not inflation adjusted, right? That means the data always reflects rising and falling prices along with the amount of stuff that's being sold. So when price inflation is high, you should expect retail sales to tick higher. Even if people cut back on the amount of stuff they actually purchase, Now, that's unless, of course, they cut the amount of buying enough to offset the rising prices. Uh, Conversely, during deflationary periods, you should expect retail sales to fall unless people up their volume of purchases, right? So there's this interplay between the amount of money people are spending and the amount of stuff they're buying. Uh, Let's look at it this way. Just because dollar widget sales... If you ever took economics, you know that widgets, that's what uh, every uh, company in the world produces, widgets. So uh, just because dollar widget sales uh, go up, increase, that doesn't mean people bought more widgets, right? It could be that they bought fewer widgets, but they paid a lot more for those widgets. So that would make retail sales look higher. Even though the number of widgets sold is down, the higher price would boost retail sales. Um, conversely, falling sales could reflect price drops, and that doesn't necessarily mean people bought fewer widgets. In fact, if the price drops enough, people could buy a lot more widgets, and retail sales would still fall because prices are declining. So when you see these big jumps in retail sales in an inflationary environment, it's not necessarily a good thing, right? It generally means people are paying more and buying less. Consider this, if you adjust that annual retail sales increase, which was 3.8%, if you adjust it by the CPI, it drops to 0.1%. So basically no change in retail sales at all over the last year, except for inflation. All of it represents rising prices. It's not that we're able to go out and buy more stuff because we're bringing in more money and everything is great. No, that's not it at all. We're just trying to keep up with rising prices. So the people aren't better off, even though retail sales would make it look like people are out there buying all kinds of stuff. Um, so, you know, I guess you got to look at it this way. They they make it sound like in these in these uh, talking head narratives. They make it sound like, hey, retail sales are up. Everybody's happy. They're just happily out there spending money. I don't know about you. I ain't happy that you know bacon costs me more, eggs cost me more, gasoline costs me more, my health insurance costs me everything costs me more. I'm not happy about that. But boy, it's reflected in retail sales. So yippee, right? So, my point is that these retail sales numbers aren't reflecting economic strength. They're actually just reflecting inflation, right? It's the illusion of prosperity. Just like my parents' friend 
back when I was growing up. Look good. Look at it from the surface. Everything's great. Dude's got it all going on. He's got everything he wants. It was a shell game. He was broke. That's kind of the way these retail sales are. They're creating an illusion of prosperity. And of course, I mention this every time I talk about price inflation. The CPI understates rising prices. Actual price inflation is at least double what they're telling you. So, if we believe the retail sales numbers, which are basically just raw dollar data, so there's no, you know, there's no ability to adjust them. There's no uh, hedonics in there or anything like that. It's just that's how much was spent. If we look at that, the percentage of that that is actually due to price inflation is more because the CPI is understating rising prices. So people are actually buying much less, and yet they're still spending more money. Uh, so not a good thing. Uh, it's, it's, again, an illusion of prosperity. It's interesting to look at the categories where retail sales are up. So for instance, food. Now, compared to that, uh, compare that to what's down electronics. So if you just logic it out, it's pretty clear what's going on, right? People spend or people are spending more on food because you got to eat. They're spending more on shelter. That's not in retail sales, but we know shelter costs are way up. They're spending more on insurance. They're spending more on healthcare. They're spending more on energy. Just paying for the necessities is tapping them out. But there's nothing left for the things that they would actually like to buy. Right, so the consumer is not better off. These retail sales are not telling you that that we're all better off and we're all in the, on the out in the shopping spree. No, we're trying to cope with rising prices. Another talking hit out there was uh, yammering about the unsinkable American consumer, unsinkable my rear. The American consumer is drowning, drowning in debt. Even if you buy the notion that strong retail sales signal that consumers are still strong because they're still spending money, you have to stop and ask, where are they getting the money? The answer is from Visa, MasterCard, American Express, Discover. They're putting this spending spree, whether it's voluntary or not, on plastic. And they're putting it on plastic, carrying interest rates well over 20%. And this shows up in the consumer credit data, revolving credit, primary, uh, revolving credit, I don't think I said the right, revolving credit, which is primarily credit card debt. It surged by 13.9% in August. That was uh, the last data release. So they they released the um, consumer credit data two months back. So we just got August this month. So 13.9%. That's huge, by the way. Americans now owe $1.28 trillion in revolving credit. Credit cards alone, over $1 trillion. According to MarketWatch, quote, Americans appear to be relying more on debt to pay for their purchases. They are also using more buy now, pay later plans. This isn't a sign of a strong consumer. It's a sign of a consumer trying to figure out how to cope with rising prices, how to make ends meet when their incomes aren't covering the increasing prices. And we talked last week about the fact that uh, real average hourly earnings are declining and have been declining uh, for the most part through this entire inflationary period. 
And here's the other thing, you know, if they're not putting it on credit cards, they're working two or three jobs to make ends meet. We saw that in the jobs data this last month. We saw this huge increase in part-time jobs. We saw an actual decrease in full-time jobs and uh, more and more people holding multiple jobs because, again, got to make ends meet. So, you know, if, if the consumer is you know, strong and staying above water. It's only because they've got credit cards and three jobs. So, you know, uh, it, it's, it's not, it's not great. Um, it's like my parents' friend again, you know, Americans are maintaining their standard of living by borrowing and spending. And that Ponzi scheme always collapses. Pretty soon Americans are going to be collectively living in a storage unit. Um, we, we have the illusion of prosperity. Illusions always fade. And you know, you can back up and look at the bigger picture. There's there's another illusion, which is due to the fact that we import so much stuff, actual physical goods from other countries, and we export money. We export debt. You know, they buy our treasuries, they get our dollars, and then we get actual stuff. And then they go use our uh, the money that we give them to buy their own stuff. Uh, but again, it's an illusion of prosperity. We're basically borrowing money to maintain the entire economy. This entire economy is built on borrowing, consumer borrowing and government borrowing. I guess and corporate borrowing too. Everybody's borrowed and leveraged up to the hill. So again, the illusion of prosperity. So let's talk about gold a little bit. The gold market has been interesting this week, eh? The uh, rally that started last Friday has continued all week. Now, Friday, we got like a $60 run up, um, and it continued throughout the week for the most part. We saw some ups and downs, of course, but um, definitely continued the rally. And, you know, it continued despite the fact that after um, rallying a bit earlier in the week, bonds have gone back into a downslide, and that has pushed yields up. And this is usually a negative for gold, right? Um, so perhaps investors have figured out that the rising yields, especially on the long end of the curve, are signaling higher, longer-run inflation. So yesterday, on Thursday, gold was up, silver was up, bond yields were up, the 10-year Treasury is now knocking on the door of 5%. But the dollar fell, so we've got dollar weakness, and we had a pretty significant sell-off in stocks. The Dow was down some 200 points, and the NASDAQ dropped almost 1%. Now, in this scenario, gold normally would have dropped. You know, over the last several months, when you see the stock market selling off, when you see, um, you know, Treasury yields rising, typically we would have seen gold drop. But it didn't. It gained nearly thirty bucks on Thursday. Uh, in fact, the price was briefly over nineteen seventy-five. So, you know, we're starting to to kind of get two thousand dollar gold back on the horizon. Um, the close was just below that at like uh, I think it was nineteen seventy-four thirty somewhere in that range. Now, think back to just a couple of weeks ago. We were talking about gold testing eighteen hundred, and I was getting nasty emails uh, from people telling me gold sucked and always goes down. Part of the rally, um, of course, is safe haven buying due to the situation in the Middle East. That's also pushing the price of oil up. Um, But, you know, I think beyond that, um, I don't think it's all safe haven buying. I think this could be. 
the beginning of a fundamental shift where investors are starting to wise up to reality a little bit. And the reality being that inflation isn't dead and the economy is on the fast track toward a cliff. I mean, it's pretty apparent if you just actually look at the data in totality and don't try to focus just on, you know, whatever moved the market today, which I think is what a lot of investors tend to do. Now, the big drop in stocks uh, was due to Jerome Powell jawboning on Thursday. Uh, he did a speech, and during that much-anticipated talk, um, I, I know, because, you know, for some reason, everybody hangs on this guy's every word, despite the fact that he's mostly wrong. Um, anyway, during the speech, he hinted that the inflation fight isn't over. He said, quote, inflation is still too high, and a few months of good data are only the beginning of what it will take to build confidence that inflation is moving down sustainably toward our goal. Uh, on a side note, editorial editorialization ahead, um, I don't think that the CPI data the last two months has been that good. Uh, you know, headline CPI has been going up. Core's dropped a little bit, but you still see a lot of inflationary pressure in core. Um, I mean, you know, you can spin that CPI data one way or the other, but I wouldn't call it good. Anyway, that's what Powell called it. Uh, he went on, he said, we cannot get know how long these lower readings will persist or where inflation will settle over the coming quarters. Fair enough. He went on to say that the path to the mythical 2% uh, target could be bumpy. But he insisted and emphasized that the Fed is still committed to getting inflation sustainably to that target. I guess he doesn't realize he's done. I mean, Paul Krugman already declared victory, right? I guess he missed that. Um, Powell also interestingly claimed that interest rates aren't too high. He said, quote, does it feel like policy is too tight right now? I would have to say no. Okay. So, ask some of these commercial real estate people what they think about the level of interest rates right now. I'll actually link to an article in the show notes about the simmering problems in the commercial real estate market and how that could impact banks. It's not good. Uh, I talked a while back on the show, um, several months ago, about commercial real estate and how that is a good candidate to be the next thing to break in this rickety economy. And uh, the problems have not abated one bit there. So check out that article if you get a chance. I don't really have time in today's show to get into all of that, but it, it is definitely an interesting read. Now, of course, there are plenty of other candidates of, uh, for things to break in the economy, but uh, commercial real estate is just one example. Anything that is impacted by interest rates, which is basically everything in an economy, especially an economy that is built on debt, is subject to breaking in this higher interest rate environment. Um, so anyway, back to Powell. He said, quote, the record suggests that a sustainable return to our 2% inflation goal is likely to require a period of below-trend growth and some further softening in the labor market conditions. So, again, he's saying, we're not there, the battle's not won, and uh, we might have some a little bit of uh, tightness in the economy, a little, little bit of a downturn in the economy. So I'll translate that. There's going to be a massive recession, thanks to the monetary tightening. I mean, he may not actually think that, or maybe he does realize it and he just won't say it. I don't know. But um, that's the case, right? That's where we're headed. Um, I mean, just think about the amount of debt 
in the world right now. And, you know, it's not just the Fed. We've got the ECB tightening monetary policy. Most central banks are tightening monetary policy. Interest rates globally are rising. And that is in the context of this massive surge in global debt. So global debt rose $10 trillion to a record $397 trillion through the first half of 2023. And uh, this data came from the Institute of International Finance, or the IIF. So combined government, household, and corporate debt, this is globally, hit 336% of global GDP in the second quarter of this year. Think about that for a minute. The amount of debt, when you combine government, household, and corporate debt, it is 336% of the entire output of the global economy. That's a lot of debt. And this big increase in debt uh, through the first half of the year occurred despite tightening credit conditions, and it is an increasingly worrisome problem. Because as one economist put it, the free lunch of artificially low interest rates is over. And it really was a free lunch, right? We had 0% interest rates for years. I mean, more than a decade. And that incentivized all of this borrowing because you could borrow it cheap and then you could spend it. I mean, when when your interest is almost zero... Of course, you're going to borrow money. Why not? And and everybody forgot that you know they're not going to stay at zero forever. Now we're at five percent, and that's a huge problem. It's a huge increase in the cost of servicing all of that debt. And of course, a lot of this debt matures and it has to be rolled over, and then you're refinancing at higher rates. Uh, the federal government is running into that right now. I think I mentioned last week that the federal government is now spending as much on interest payments as it is on national defense. And that's just going to keep going up because every single day, old debt is maturing and rolling off and they're having to refinance or having to sell new treasuries at these higher interest rates. So the cost of servicing the $33.5 plus trillion national debt is going up every single day. This is a huge problem, right? They're, they're, think about this. They're raising interest rates on... This tidal wave of debt. I mean, you don't need a PhD in economics to realize this is a problem, right? But don't worry, everything is fine. Jay Powell said, quote, we're very far from the effective lower bound and the economy is handling it just fine. Sure, it's handling higher interest rates just fine for now. But as I've said over and over and over, it takes a long time for the impacts of these policy policy changes to work their way through the economy. It's not a microwave, you know, you don't hit 30 seconds, you know, you don't put interest rates in, hit 30 seconds, and then voila, it's all cooked and done. No, it takes a long time. Remember, interest rates peaked nearly two years before the 2008 financial crisis. And in the meantime, all the Fed people were saying, oh, don't worry about it, everything's fine. Anyway, the point that I'm getting at is that despite Powell getting out there and talking all hawkish, hawkish enough to tank stocks, and despite the fact that we had uh, another bond sell-off, so another big boost in yields, gold still rallied. And I think that's significant. Now, we'll see what happens today. Uh, You know, sometimes hawkish Fed talk hits the gold market the next day. 
or any kind of news. Like we saw this with CPI. Uh, gold didn't really react to the CPI report last time around, but it sold off the next day. So we might get a sell off on Friday, but I, today, I, I kind of don't think so because I feel like maybe that we've maybe a little bit turned a corner. I feel like there's a change in sentiment. And, you know, in fact, on October 6th, we had what is known as an outside reversal. And what that means is the price of gold took out the low for the prior day, and then it closed above the high for the prior day. And anybody who's like into technical analysis and stuff will tell you that that typically signals the end of a trend. And the trend, of course, at that point was downward. We were talking about the possibility of of testing $1,800 resistance. Uh, Since that outside reversal, uh, you know, we're way up. And again, $2,000 gold is not too far out there on the horizon. Anyhow, regardless of what the markets do today or on Monday, a realistic look at all the data should make it clear. Price inflation is alive and well. And interest rates are too high for this debt-riddled economy. And you know what that means. It means the Fed is backed into a corner. Now, they can pretend they're not until something breaks in the economy. They can keep going along like this. Powell can trot out every other day and talk about how we're committed to fighting inflation and we're going to get that 2% target and, you know, interest rates are fine. He can say all of that until something really breaks in the economy and and things start to unwind. The bubbles start to pop and, and deflate. At that point, the Fed's in trouble because it's going to have to admit that, no, the economy's not fine. No, the interest rates aren't fine. But also that we still have inflation, and they're going to have a choice. Are they going to continue to try to drive inflation down to the mythical 2% target, or are they going to try to fix the plummeting economy? And I've said this before. I feel like that the odds are they're going to go with fix the economy because that's what history tells us they'll try to do. And that means slashing interest rates, and more quantitative easing, which means more price inflation. And you're going to want to have gold before that truth becomes apparent. We've already seen a healthy run-up, right? Imagine what that's going to look like when the Fed goes back to quantitative easing. And it's going to go back to quantitative easing, ladies and gentlemen, even if the economy doesn't crack. QE is the only way the U.S. government is going to be able to keep selling treasuries to finance the debt and all of the new spending that we all know is coming down the pipe. The Fed is going to have to put its big fat thumb back on the bond market. It's going to have to start buying treasuries again. And that means money printing. That means an expansion in the money supply. That means, again, more price inflation. So, If you're thinking, yeah, maybe I ought to get a position in gold or silver, or maybe I need to add to my position, now is the time. Not when the fire is already raging, right? You don't buy your insurance when the house is on fire. So, if you're thinking along those lines, if you're just curious, I highly encourage you to call a Shift Gold Precious Metals specialist. You can just dial 1-888-GOLD-160. Or... If you don't want to talk on the phone, shoot them an email, info at shiftgold.com. Or you can just go to the website, shiftgold.com, or 
shiftgold.com and you can click on the getting started tab and there's a way right there that you can chat with a precious metal specialist uh you know you can tell them kind of what your goals are what you're looking to do what your uh, portfolio looks like and they will help you figure out how precious metals can fit into your investment strategy these guys are fantastic they're going to listen to you they're going to figure out what you need and they're going to help you figure out how to add precious metals to that mix so give them a call today and with that we're going to call it a gold wrap for the week now of course you can get more details on everything i've talked about plus more you can keep up with the latest precious metals news and analysis throughout the week over at shiftgold.com news and if you haven't done it already you can subscribe to the Friday Gold Wrap. We're on Apple Podcasts, we're on Google Podcasts, we're on the Shift Gold YouTube channel. We're all over the place, and you can find links on the show notes page, along with links to our social media channels. You can email me, M Mahari, M M A H A R R E Y at shiftgold.com. Love hearing from folks. I hope you have a fantastic Friday, and I will be back to talk to you again next week.